to the Skeptic Wire. It is the Skeptic Wire, and we are on episode 130, and it is the 3rd of October, 2013. My Yay, name... it's almost Christmas. Yeah, there's already Christmas <laughs> stuff up in stores. I was annoyed at that today. That's a whole other story. Go Google the Loud and Wainwright the third song, Suddenly It's Christmas. I will have to do that. Joining me tonight is my co-host, Greg Perrine. Oh, shoot, I shouldn't have been talking this entire time. You hadn't introduced me. Okay, I'm sorry. I think our loyal listeners... Know that I'm a complete fuck-up? Yes, okay. And unfortunately tonight, we do not have Gary as he is off studying hard at class, having fun without us because we're recording on Thursday instead of Wednesday because I had a film festival and yeah. So there you go. FYI, my film won the film festival... Thank you very much. Yay, Donna. So, what's going on with you, Greg? Um, not much. That doesn't help the podcast. We need a little <laughs> bit more than not much. Uh, yeah, uh, no, not much. Okay, well, <laughs> since you have not much and I have nothing other than the fact that I just got back from a trip to the not-so-sunny part of California and won a film festival. Why don't we move on to birthday? All right. Do you know who was born today, October 3rd in 1804? I'm assuming he or she is dead. I kind of got that feeling. Died in 1869. Uh, Was born in Lyon, France. Lyon, France, 1804... Um, no Googling. I'm not. Okay. <laughs> I just heard the, the clickety-click the clickety, of, click, click. of your keyboard and uh, just wanted to no, make actually, sure. No, actually, I'm looking up the 27th Amendment because I had an argument with somebody. And All right. Me. Well, while you're looking up the 27th Amendment, instead of guessing the birthday, I guess you can multitask. He was a teacher, though wasn't particularly highly um, educated. I believe he didn't fully go to college or something along those lines, but did teach in several different subjects. Okay. And is very famous more for his pen name than his real name. And his real name is going to be fun for me to try to pronounce almost as much as his pen name. This person is associated almost in the same breath with Mesmer of Mesmerism and the Fox Sisters of the early kind of mediumship spiritual kind of situations. Okay. And um, basically what he's very famous for is systemizing and codifying the concept of spiritism. Not spiritualism, which has kind of been around, but spiritism is a very specific kind of spiritualism. Need a little bit more help. Oh boy. Let's see. He wrote five books. The Spirits Book, The Book on Mediums, the Gospel According to Spiritism, Heaven and Hell, and The Genus According to Spiritism. 
his pen name he got because he went to a seance and basically a spirit that identified itself as Zephyro said that in a past life, this other name, his, what he used for his pen name, was the name of who he was when he was, what was he? He was a druid. I got two ideas, and I don't know which one, and I can't remember the first name of this guy. Um, okay. Well, his birth name is Hippolyte Leon Denizard Rivali. Okay, I know who it is. Hold on. I know his first name. Last name is Kardik. Yes. Alan Kardik. And this is why I was on Win Ben Stein's Money People. Congratulations. <laughs> Very good. Yeah, basically, I just told you pretty much most of uh, about him. He spent most of his life as, like I said, a teacher. But in his, say, his 50s, he started to get really inter- interested in mediums and psychics and all that. So... The whole kind of culture of, like I said, mesmerism and the beginning of hypnotism, the Fox sisters and all the ideas of you could have these seances and talk to the dead. There was the precursor to the Ouija boards. They were called talking boards, which was some kind of weird basket that they just kind of spun around with letters on it. Instead of the planchette moving, it was the basket that spun around until you hit a letter or something like that. So it was kind of the infancy of all of that. And he just really got into it and fell for it hook, line, and sinker. Apparently, he had this list of questions that he would go to a spiritualist and ask of the spirit, and apparently that was proof that these spirits were real and all that. So he eventually started writing everything down, kind of co- like the, like everybody says, he codified it, he defined what was going on, and the main difference, it seems, between spiritualism and spiritism is spiritism heavily focuses on the reincarnation idea that these spirits are real, that they can affect and communicate with the real world, especially through people who are more attuned, like psychics, but that you're progressively, your spirit is independent of your body and it's progressively trying to learn, learn more about the world and how to do stuff. There's not a lot of talk in the stuff I read the last couple of days about what the end goal is. I guess you just keep becoming more perfect, which is not great grammar, but it's sort of more the Buddhist philosophy of you either go up or you go down. And you're... well, no, they say you don't go down. You just it takes. Oh, so you don't become a cockroach? No, like no, you, they're you, just you, you, it's always movie. human, and it's just if you don't learn the lessons you need to learn. You just kind of stay at the same level your next life. The progression takes a different amount of time for different spirits. But what the end goal is, is there? there's no mention of a nirvana or a heaven. Even though it is, spiritism is closely tied to Christianity, Jesus is considered a very spiritual character. But spiritism doesn't really focus on having to be a christian or part of a specific religion even so there's a lot of those kind of spiritual but not religious people and there's still people who are adherents of spiritism nowadays i think there's a alan kardic educational center.org or something like that and they they still hold on to these ideas despite the fact that one of the fox sisters admitted it was just her cracking her toe to make the knocking sound of the spirits and 
animal magnetism, the mesmerism stuff has been widely disproved. So it's it's almost a religion without being an organized religion. Yeah. I still think they're crazy. Yeah, pretty much. Alan Kardec, he died of an aneurysm at age 64, so... He had a pretty good life for that yeah. time period. Yeah, not right? too bad, yeah. So, unfortunately, we got to deal with stuff that we really don't like talking about. I don't know how else to put this, but we're going to talk about Teresa McBain and her, forgive my language here, her fuck-up. Yeah, I, w- I would classify it as that. Because from what I've read on it in the articles and from McBain's own statements, there wasn't a maliciousness to this. It was just human nature and a fuck-up, like you said. Right. So the, and, so tell us the background on the okay, situation. Okay, background is, Teresa McBain was actually, I believe, the second graduate, I don't know how else to describe it, of the clergy project. She was a prominent minister who stepped down from the pulpit, came out of the atheist closet at an American atheist meeting, did a great job going, hey, I'm a minister and I don't believe in God anymore, so yeah. um, here I am. You know, very much like Jerry DeWitt who is a friend of the podcast, and we've had chances to interact with both of them at various atheist events. So her resume, which got her hired on with Humanist Community of Harvard, was not exactly... It lacked a truthiness. <laughs> well, it, it it was incorrect. It was false. Right. Because it says that she had a, a divinity degree from Duke University. Well, we can get more into this. She did attend a program at Duke University, but it wasn't a degree program. And it was just kind of this, if you're one type of minister and you're kind of moving to another kind of ministry program. It's mm-hmm. But it wasn't like a Master's of Divinity or a Doctorate of Divinity, right. anything Which like that. Which is what she put down was that she held a Master's exactly. of Divinity from Duke University. Uh, somebody started looking into her resume started calling around, started asking questions, and she had to cough up the truth. Yeah. Which she has, and she's done it very, very gracefully. Whether she stepped down or was fired from Harvard, I think is is open to debate and not yeah. really something that I I care about. She is not in that position anymore. That's the gist of it. Yeah. Um, and this is going to follow her around for a long time, and... I'm a very, two different minds on this. One is, good, it should follow her around. She screwed up. Because, I mean, there are people like me who've worked very, very hard for their degrees. This kind of shit pisses me off. Right. In Be- in some of her um, postings on Facebook, you know, she says really kind of what it boils down to is that she's a former pastor. She came out as an atheist. And she says, quote, I lied on my resume. Now I'm paying for my choices. Because it seemed like the kind of thing that people knew that she went to something at Duke University, so people assumed she had a degree and she never corrected them. And that I can understand in the beginning, but then for some reason decided to put that on her resume. And that's the dividing line. If other people said, oh, you you have a master's at Duke University, don't you? And she didn't correct them in conversation, eh, not a big deal, but on your resume, actually... Right, because they, it, goes, it goes from the sin of omission to the sin of commission, yeah. for lack of a better terminology here. Exactly. She has acknowledged the falsification, and she has 
basically owned up to her problem and the community that she lied to in that way either accepted her resignation with grace or said, listen, we got to let you go. So there were consequences to her actions on this earth. And as a sucky situation as this is, because she is, from what I've been able to tell from my personal interactions with her, a good person, a moral person, she just kind of went down that she hit a gray area road of um, cognitive dissonance where she just didn't correct the lie and then it became worse and worse and worse. But there were consequences. Unlike, say, the Catholic Church or their articles going around this this week about how evangelical churches are even worse about things like sex abuse or a pastor with one of the parishioners or something like that and nobody reports it, nobody gets fired. You have you know, pastors who are doing drugs and hiring prostitutes and all that and two years later they come back to the church saying, I'm healed, I'm fine, just forget all that stuff. So, right. I mean I, I I don't I have no no qualms with how the atheist community has handled it. A lot of uh, people have had opinions, and I'm going to quote Ed Brayton here, who said, As someone who doesn't have a college degree, I can fully understand why she felt the need to do it. I've been tempted to pad my resume at times when applying for a job myself because I never finished my degree, but I know that I am almost certainly more competent than many people who do have a degree. I've never done it, but I've been tempted to do it, so I get it. I understand how our ethical resolve can be diminished through self-justification and rationalization, it's one thing that our human brain does exceedingly well. She deceived herself. Right. Yeah. And I think that's how she got into this. Right. But I agree with Harvard firing her ass or her stepping down. Because to me, it's I'm not sure if that's really been stated as they actually fired her or she went to them and said, hey, I did this, I'm stepping down, and we yeah. can just kind of... Well, there was, there was a big piece in the New York Times a, week, a couple weeks ago about her. I mean, there had been pieces about Jerry DeWitt and about her before, but in this most recent piece, they specifically mentioned this whole Duke University thing, and either someone started researching it or someone from Duke said, well, let me look at that. Right. And, and contacted the author of the article and said, by the way, she actually did not graduate from Duke here's the records of her going to this program, but there's no degree here. So she was found out, and it came out in this article, and it, basically she was confronted with it, and she has faced these consequences. We don't know who initiated the her leaving Harvard. Right. But it's, it's a good consequence. Right. Additionally, and Ed Brayton brings this up, a lot of people in the atheist community, especially women in the atheist community really kind of took the hero worship of Teresa McBain very, very seriously because she was somebody who got out of that, was doing so well, very, very prominent. There was a bit of hero worship. You know, same things happen with with Dawkins and Hitchens and and these others. And, I mean, I was one of the biggest critics of Hitchens. I loved Hitchens, but I was a huge critic of him also. So... Things happen, people make mistakes, we still have to criticize and police our own backyards, though. And I'm glad to see the atheist community saying, look, we're still going to stand by you, but 
we're going to slap you down a bit. Yeah. We're going to remind you that we have to do things better than these other groups, than the Catholics, than the evangelicals, because they're going to take a look at this, and it's going to be used as fodder for, oh, look at those damn atheists. You right. know, they if they lie about their resume, they're obviously lying about believing in God. There's always going to be something that the true-on, full-on thumping believers are going to use an excuse to denigrate us. Right. It's not good to give them ammunition, but this situation seemed to... Whoever initiated the leaving of Harvard, it, it was handled the way it should be handled, in that she got this job on those credits and now cannot fulfill that post because that was untrue. I wish her well. I hope that she and her family can move past this. You know, in the scheme of things, she didn't kill somebody. <laughs> she didn't rape somebody. She didn't She didn't even really commit a crime. She didn't, but she did something wrong. Yes. Her moral compass kind of wavered there for a bit, and, and fine. Like I said, she didn't kill somebody. She didn't rape somebody. She didn't, you know, steal money. She didn't take money from the Harvard community humanists and embezzle it mm -hmm. for her own private goods. I will give her the credit of coming up, saying I did it, apologizing, and trying to move on. And I hope that she is able to move on. And I hope that this sort of thing can be either a lesson or a model for other, let's just use the broad umbrella term, scandals within the secular and skeptical worlds of, honestly, if you were found out for having done something wrong, you have to fess up to it. Yeah. You can't just pull out the denial machine, have people take sides, because in some of the more recent kerfuffles that we have talked to death about this on the show, people have taken sides just because they like someone, and it really hits on that hero worship idea, and it falls the other side of people demonize certain other people, even within the secular and skeptic community, and... That's not good, but would would be good is if people took responsibility and had the consequences when they are found out. Yeah. So that's really, I guess, all I have to say about it. I'm I'm of of two minds. There is there is a part of me that wants to, you know, say you didn't get enough. But at the same time, I have to remind myself that she didn't steal money. She didn't. Well, yeah. I I think the the quote-unquote punishment fits the crime. She lied on a resume which got her a job. Now she does not have that job anymore. Right. Now, this is a living for her and her family, which sucks, that she now has to basically depend on the kindness of others and find some other form of employment for her and her family. And she has also left the New England area, from what I understand. So she has to pull up roots and everything. But I, So I think the punishment fits the crime in this situation. No, I completely agree. She admitted it, and like you said, maybe this is that teachable moment. Yeah, definitely. I just don't want to see many more of these come out. Yeah. That's, I guess, my big thing. We're not particularly happy about how this situation happened, but it makes sense. It's a small situation, and like I said, the punishment fits the crime. We're going to talk for a few minutes to, you know, staying on the even more depressing route, we're going to speak about a few situations where the punishment 
definitely did not fit the crime. And they have a common theme of a certain cultural background that are going on. Yes. So let's let's tag team on these stories yeah, so and go back. Here and we forth. go. You first. So, you know what? We're just going to come out with this because since the skeptic wire is thirty three percent boobage, for lack of a better word. I have man boobs. Yeah. And it disturbs you something fierce when I wiggle them around yeah, like this. Yeah, it does. Just just stop, please. I I don't need that. So if we were in the Middle East, I would not be on this podcast because you know for I many could, reasons. Very least of which is I couldn't drive here to the studio to record it. Yes. Because apparently that's going to misalign my ovaries and pelvis. Despite the fact that I've been driving for over 20 years. Yeah, this is chock full of crazy. And I'm sure every single skeptical and secular podcast this week is going to cover this story. But go ahead. I just... I can, So some Iman came out and basically... Iman? Um, Sheikh Salah al, oh boy, La Ayadan. Okay. Sheikh so and so. They're in green. Hold on. Sheikh Salah. That's all I'm going to call him. Sheikh Salad. (laughs) That's what that's what he is. Sheikh Salad came out and said that women should not be allowed to drive because it's going to hurt our our girly bits. Yes. Now driving in Saudi Arabia is already banned, but there's a, a more of a groundswell lately to defy that ban and for women to drive without the permission and have a campaign or whatever like that. Right. So he's trying to stop that campaign. So here is my, you know, and this is just the forensic anthropologist in me. So if driving is going to somehow harm my lady bits, isn't sitting in a chair or in the passenger seat. What's well, the or, vib- oh, okay, passenger seat that would be too cuz I was well, thinking just the vibrations, but but isn't just sitting in the automobile kind of using the same oh, I don't know physics. Yeah. <laughs> of driving with the exception of, you know, the foot pedal thing. Yeah. Although I admit that when I'm in the passenger seat, I tend to go for that 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 immer- that brake even when I'm So the fact that you're using your right foot unless you drive a clutch, more than your left foot, that misaligns your pelvis, which apparently, well, okay, the order of things is a little weird in his statement, but essentially, you know, the pelvis and the ovaries get all whacked up because oh. you're using right leg more than left. Yeah, so what about well, those... Let me, let, me, let me quote kind of what he said. Can you do, this? Can you do the southern accent? So uh, Sheikh Salah al-Hadan, who is a psychologist by training, he said, well, driving could have a reverse physiological impact. Physiological science has, in functional medicine, studied this side and found that it automatically affects ovaries and rolls up the pelvis. Some translations say pushes up the pelvis. This is why we find for women who continuously drive cars that their children are born with clinical disorders of varying degrees. So, I'm just curious as to what these clinical disorders are. It's, it's not specific in any of the articles yeah. I've seen, but you are pushing on the idea of, well, if these women are just in the car, wouldn't they have these effects? Yeah. Well, we have... Years and years and years of women driving in the United States, the Europe, Asia, 
rest of you know all of Africa and and elsewhere throughout the Middle East, South America, even there are women who drive around Antarctica, and yet we don't see this vast explosion of child deformations or something. Maybe maybe he's a, a follower of Andrew Wakefield and thinks that. This women is, driving causes autism. I don't know. I just... It's just as logical. I just... I, I read the article, and I just was all like, I can't wrap my brain around this. I was speechless for about 37 seconds before I said, fuck you, shake salad. <laughs> just stop. But fortunately, he has basically been mocked relentlessly on Twitter, even by people in Saudi Arabia. There's a lot of people quoting, saying something along the of... Um, that the Saudi Sheikh uh, studied Sharia. Uh, oh, did he study Sharia, medicine, or did he study foolishness? And that's from a woman inside Saudi Arabia. Yeah. So this is full of mockitude. And you know what? I'm I'm glad to see, you know, women in Saudi Arabia getting on their cell phones and tweeting. Mm-hmm. Because they can't do that everywhere in the Middle East, yeah. as has recently been evidenced by a young woman who was stoned to death for owning a cell phone. Yes, this story comes from uh, Pakistan, and I assume it's from the kind of more wild tribal areas that are closer mm-hmm. to Afghanistan. Basically, back in July, she was sentenced to death by stoning by a tribal court in Pakistan, and her uncle... Her cousins and other family members, which I assume are the male family members, but you never know. Maybe they're egalitarian in other ways, and they they don't allow women to have cell phones, but they allow them to throw stones, because it rhymes. There's a picture that goes along with all the articles Mm -hmm. of a woman with her arms kind of tied at the elbows behind her back, but I've heard other ways of stoning in that they bury a woman either half or all the way down to the neck. Yeah. And just stone her head. It's I don't pretty, know how she was stoned. It's but, yeah. pretty fucking barbaric. Stoning yeah. is a pretty... Yeah, I, I have no other words other than fucking barbaric. Yes. And, and I'm pro-death penalty. I'm... <laughs> I really am. This is not death penalty material, though. Right. It, it, it is, again, like we said, it is punishment does not fit the crime. In any way, shape, or form. And all the stories, all they say is owned a cell phone or had a mobile phone. Right. Not what, how they tied that into breaking Sharia law. If it was, well, if you have a mobile phone, that means you could call a man who you are not related to. Therefore, it is adultery. Probably. Yeah, it's, they're, well, Sharia law loves to, <laughs> you know, punish you before you commit the crime. Yeah. Well, it, Sharia, in reading the Bible and all that kind of stuff, you kind of interpret it how you want to to right. have the conclusion you want. It's just, I don't use this word often because I don't believe in it, but it's the only word that I can think of. I am truly blessed to have been yes. born in the United States, and especially when I, when I was born in the United States. I have had the ability to drive and get a college education and get degrees and, ooh, Record a podcast in a room with a man who's not my family, right. you know. Have tattoos and show your ankles, I mean. Yeah, those, those are pretty <laughs> sexy ankles, I'll give you that. I mean, my ankles... Oh, I thought you were talking about my ankles, oh well. Yeah, yeah, not bad. Okay. Well, we'll have to po- post a picture of both our ankles to the website and have the listeners decide who has the most attractive ankles. <laughs> 
We'll put you a know, poll up on the Facebook page. You know, you know, Gary will win because <laughs> he's the only one. Not no, there. he won't because he's not here this week. <laughs> yeah. So in the situation where someone gets stoned to death for having a cell phone, we kind of have to go off on a tangent yeah, and make ourselves laugh. Because otherwise, it's just so depressing. Yep. So we have one other very depressing story which came out. The article I found on it was more the end of August. This is also in Pakistan where a woman was killed by her husband for refusing to wear a veil and for sending the children to a regular school, not a essentially a religious indoctrination school. The husband was the kind of guy who led prayers at the neighborhood mosque, taught the Koran to people in their home, but basically seemed to have a very vicious temper and really was focused on these very hardline Sharia kind of stuff. Because she would wear the abaya gown, which is kind of the full-length dress with long sleeves, and then there might be kind of an extra layer over the long sleeves or whatever, and usually worn either with a separate or connected kind of head scarfy type thing, but basically only the oval of her face was visible. Right. And her hands. But apparently all this was over the fact that she didn't wear a veil. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to run around in a miniskirt and a bikini. It was, I'm going to wear the full-on abaya gown, but not the face veil. Right. And that is why he decided to kill her, and cut her up into pieces, and it was found by neighbors in an adjoining yard or something. And the guy apparently was, I don't know, I don't want to say guilty enough because he obviously didn't feel any remorse about this. He left a note explaining why he did it on the body, and they found the murder weapon and the chopping up weapon because she was chopped up, up into pieces. And he is gone missing. So apparently he realized that he might get in a little trouble for chopping up his wife. And that's probably it. Is he's going to get in trouble for chopping her up, the desecration of the body, but not necessarily for the killing of her. Cause oh, that, I didn't think of that. That's kind of the, one of those little gray areas in those parts of the world. Of, well, the woman who was stoned, the other story about the cell phone, they specifically buried her out kind of out in the desert and the family couldn't be around there because they're not allowed to be around the body. So they essentially desecrated the body. They didn't give it a proper burial. And but, neither did this guy. Right. But that's because their court system okay. decided that. Now, had he gone to the men of the village and said, hey, my wife won't do this. And they said, well, let's just stone her to death and then bury her out in the desert, you know, feet up or whatever. <laughs> that probably would have been fine. So... Even if uh, I, I, there are plenty of cases in Pakistan and throughout the Middle East and throughout the world, because this happens in England yeah. and the United States, Canada, even I don't know if I say Canada, even, but maybe they I'm gave, sure I'm sure there has no, been. No, it, it has happened in Canada that honor killings happen. Yeah. So you think that the tribe would have no problem with the honor killing, but just it was the chopping up part. Right. Because sometimes the, they get really weird. Maybe about you watch too like much that. Dexter. I don't know. That's entirely possible. <laughs> but these cultures, they don't have the problem with killing the woman. But when you've kind of stepped outside of that prescribed way of doing it, mm -hmm. that's when they start to get a little... The older guys are like, dude, what were you doing? 
We're not yeah. cool with this. We should have had a say in how she died. <laughs> I wanted to cut her up. That's exactly. no fair. Exactly. Yeah. Once again, you're listening to this podcast and you're listening to me because I was born in the 70s in the United States of America. Or even just the Western world. Yes. In the 20th, 21st century time. Yeah, which does make me very, very happy. It makes me very, very happy for my daughter, yeah. you know, that she is growing up in this time where she can be whatever she wants to be without worrying about people throwing rocks at her head. <laughs> we live in a country where I posted this article to her Facebook page today, I think it was, that the comic book company Marvel is partnering with Natalie Portman to have this kind of contest for little girls, I think, a, a grades six to nine, who are who want to get involved in STEM, which is science, technology, engineering, and math? Yeah, they're gonna give scholarships and encourage these girls by I think at least some of them get a free trip to the premiere of Thor: Dark Thursday or whatever the hell the next movie is called. The Dark World, and I will be there seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> but that in our culture, that kind of thing is, or at least we're trying to encourage women and little girls to get involved in science and engineering and the higher level skills. Right. And it's 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 great to see that. I'm really glad to see Natalie Portman doing that because she does play a doctor of physics mm-hmm. in the Thor movies. I can't even remember her character because I admit it, I'm going for the abs. I, Call I, me a sexist, but n- I watch no, it for Chris Hemsworth and I don't blame you. And and yeah, I wow. think Natalie Portman is really cute. I would thought it was very unfortunate in the last Thor movie that she was given the dialogue that was so corny of something fascinating and horrible happened on screen and they focused her and she goes, oh my God. It's like, oh, that's so corny. Don't do that. But she is so cute. And so like I said, it's really great to see actresses and, and who a play these characters that inspire little girls to become physicists, become astronauts. I mean, gravity with Sandra Bullock, all about astronauts. And I'm pretty sure there's going to be little girls now going, I could do that. Well, it I I haven't seen the movie, so I'm not spoiling anything. But isn't Gravity like a disaster movie? It's kind of a disaster movie, but okay. it's still very, there's... So I'm, I'm hoping maybe girls and young women see that movie and want to become engineers to pre- prevent right. whatever the hell happens to that space shuttle thing. But we're starting to see this whole, the scientist is not always that old white guy in a lab coat. Yes, we're starting sometimes to see... it's the really, really hot woman who's wearing glasses for no apparent reason. Yes, exactly. So movies like this do inspire young women to get involved in the math and sciences. And yeah. it's really great to see because, unfortunately, there's still not enough of us in math and science Every little girl needs that role model. But good kind of promotion, scholarship, putting the word out there that it is a good idea and that is cool. Right. It's a step up from, math is hard, Barbie. Right. So. Or coffee, tea, or milk. The, <laughs> you know, the traditional, what you would consider traditional feminine roles of being a nurse, a teacher, or a flight attendant. Yes. But you know what? Here's one job that you can be any gender... But you might want to be very careful if you decide to become a psychic. Okay. Yes. If you're going to be a psychic, 
anybody who's listening to this podcast probably does not believe in psychics, has, knows about cold reading and about you know wish fulfillment, where people who go to psychics want to believe anyway. Right. If you're going to be like a corner store psychic or a mentalist up on stage and do it for entertainment purposes only. Right. If you're going to be a mentalist up on stage and someone comes up for you after the show and says, I bet you really do have powers and say, it's, it's all a show, it's, it's illusion, whatever. Right. If you're a psychic on the, st- on the side of the street or something, it's for entertainment purposes only. Charge your fee that you charge for your 15 minutes of time and leave it at that. Don't be an asshole. <laughs> Don't be an asshole and say, hey, for a few thousand dollars, I can... Take away the bad spirit who is causing your miscarriages or the oogity boogity behind you that failed your marriage. Not like you or your husband, ex-husband failed the marriage. I can control the IRS and or I know you're going to die in a few years anyway, so don't bother filing your taxes. Exactly. These are all things that Florida psychic Rose Marks and family. Yeah, we need to make sure we include that. That there are... Several members of the Marx family involved in this. I would call it the Marx clan, but we'll get into that later. But Rose Marx was found guilty on 14 counts of fraud, money laundering, mail-slash-wire fraud, and filing false tax returns. And you would think, being a psychic, she saw that coming. Yes, I mean, that's <laughs> the joke you're going to do about any story about psychics. But apparently she bilked various customers out of approximately $25 million over about, say, 20, 30 years, something like that. Including the author... Jude Devereaux? Jude Devereaux. Yeah. She writes cheesy romance novels. I only reason I know this. (laughs) only reason I know this is my mom read them. (laughs) Apparently, she was a vast majority of that money, which was about somewhere in the approaching $20 million over 20 years. And she and and this is Jude Devereaux is the specific person who gave the testimony that she said she would cleanse her. Jude Devereaux went to Rose Marks with problems of she was having her divorce, and Rose Marks said, you know, just go ahead and trust me, sign whatever they they do it, it'll work out, and give me money because it'll it it was very secret like very it, it, it was if you give me money it will come back to you later. A karma cleanse. Yes. I'll cleanse your karma for 20 bucks. Only with her, it was probably $2,000. So it was was very much kind of in a vulnerable state, in a divorce. Um, At some point, one of her children died at eight years old. So rather than seek the the help of a psychiatrist or a psychologist or even a good therapist, or as my dad would put it, a priest or a bartender, (laughs) (laughs) she went to a psychic who built her out of... Approximately, what, $20 million? That's, that's about what they were quoting. And it seemed like there were other people who gave lots of money, who mortgaged their house or borrowed money from more wealthy friends, that sort of thing, in order to pay for this psychic to cleanse them or get the money back later on. And if and, any of my friends or any of my family <laughs> came to me and said, hey, I need $2,000 because this psychic said, yeah, I would be all like, do you not listen to my show? <laughs> Let, it, let's let's review back to episode 130. Yeah. It seems that the Rose, Marks, and family basically spent lavishly on this. They had yeah. lots of luxury cars. They had boats. 
a uh, seaside home, jewelry, gold coins, and one of the things that came out in the trial about Marx herself is that she had a big gambling problem. It seemed like about $150,000 a year on average, some of the articles said, would lose on coin slots. I mean, maybe it was dollar oh, slots or something. But basically, oh. this this woman, Rose Marx, had her own problems that she was dealing with. Apparently, this whole gambling addiction really blossomed after the death of her husband and a grandson, apparently. So it was really this coping mechanism that Marx used to deal with her own problems instead mm. of going to a therapist or... Or a psychiatrist yeah. like she should have. So Rose Marx has been found guilty on 14 counts. She'll be sentenced in December. And she's being held without bail yes. until such time. Her her family basically, some of them really freaked Lost out. Lost their shit? Yeah. Is that the word you're looking for? Because yes. that was how it came some across. Some of them basically kind of turned to the investigator, Charles Stack, who is now since retired, and basically said, you know, oh, yeah, think you did a great job, did you? Some of them started insulting the prosecuting attorneys. One of them threw a Bible? Yeah, threw a Bible and essentially said, I hate this Bible. I don't want this Bible anymore. I don't know. It was like, okay, I'm not, I hate God now because God didn't save mom or grandma or something. Or I was praying to this Bible and it's this Bible that failed me or something. There's probably a lot of it is, I mean, I I will give them the credit. They probably honestly do love their mom, grandmother, Mm -hmm. aunt. At the same time. They're probably missing the cash, which has since been seized, which to me just says they were not just crooks. They were stupid crooks because there's so many ways to hide the money that they could have gotten away. No, they they were actually doing money laundering kind of because they had lots of businesses in the Florida area. So they kind of writing checks to each other. They were laundering things. They knew they were trying to hide this money. They basically said, oh, I didn't think we had to report this as income. They kind of knew. Yeah, well, all I had to say is three words. Grand Cayman Islands. <laughs> okay. <laughs> they weren't very sophisticated, but they weren't stupid. I'll draw that kind of gray area. And an interesting kind of sidebar to this, and I really don't know a lot about this culture and how much this was focused on in the trial or not, but it seems that Rose Marks and family and clan, because various other sons and daughters and cousins, whatever, all essentially pled guilty to other lesser counts, right. and they're free until they're sentenced later on in the year. But apparently this whole family is a Roma family, a Romani, what, Romani which is generally known as Gypsy, but yeah. they're Romani. So there is, from what little I do know of that culture, are very much insular, kind of protect the family, get what you can get, and screw everybody else yeah. kind of mentality. And it seems like that's really come through in that d- idea of, we're going to do whatever we can do to get by, even if it includes lying to people and bilking customers out of money who are in desperate need of help and are vulnerable, and we're just going to take advantage of who we can take right. advantage. Well, I, I think that it's it's partially the we're going to bilk them, but some of the Romanis that I have met and gotten, they really do believe that they can roll bones and tea leaves and mm-hmm. and see the future. They They really... Oh, look, I see a moon in the tea leaves, which means, you know, you're going to have a better day tomorrow. Which, you know, like if your dad died, obviously the next day is going to be a little better or something. You know, (laughs) there's always that. Well, yeah, it's generally cold reading techniques. Right. And it's 
that you wake up in the better mood and you're like, oh, look, my psychic was right, you know? Well, it, it seems like this group of people also used hot reading techniques in that Jude Devereaux is very famous and she was involved in this divorce and it seemed like they tried to get information from the ex-husband right. on this kind of thing to really kind of push the situation. So I do really think they knew they, what they were doing in a non-supernatural way. Right. That In this case, some of the Romani that I have met and gotten yeah. to know that's how they are. In every situation, they're going to be right, full-on true believers. Honestly, and these people spectrum. were just fucking crooks. And yeah. let's just cut to the chase about that. Crooks. They're <laughs> going to jail. Some of them pled guilty to lesser charges, so they won't be going to jail for as long. Well, they really wanted to focus on Rose Marks as the ringleader and the yeah. accountant of the whole situation. The prosecutors, I mean. So that they could really kind of throw the book at her and blow the lid off this. So I think they kind of didn't focus on the rest of the family quite as much, but they did plead guilty so, to some stuff. And it it looks like, as part of the trial, there's not a lot of details that I've been able to read, but there's some pretty good articles over at the Sun Sentinel in Florida. There was a author, Paula McCon, who followed this trial for months and kept writing articles about what was going on. It seemed like the prosecutors did a fairly good job of showing that anybody can be fooled. Yeah. That it, people shouldn't blame the victim of, oh, they should have known better, what are they just stupid, but really kind of was able to show that, like I said, anybody can be fooled. It takes a little bit of belief going in and vulnerability and also the skill of the person who is right. deceiving someone. Right, because I was going to say, in Jude Devereaux's case, she gone through a terrible divorce. She'd had several miscarriages. She had the death of her son. So she probably started seeing him at the divorce, and then all of these other things just kept impacting. Mm -hmm. And there was always the excuse of, well, if you just pay me a little more, I can take away the bad spirit who's yeah. shadowing your life, and, and it's going to get better. Then when it did get better in between a miscarriage and, a, and another miscarriage, when it got better, they were all like, look, see, I removed that spirit, but you got to pay me more to right. keep the spirit away. And then all of they a sudden... They got some positive feedback. Right. Which happens. Not everybody's life is doom and gloom <laughs> every yeah. single day. I hope the prosecutors really kind of focused on those kind of ideas that we skeptics have known on along. The cognitive dissonance, the everybody can be fooled, the, yeah. the, the whole kind and of thing. And it depends also on the mental state that somebody is in. Yeah. I mean, you and I are not going to go to a psychic. Yeah. We're going to go to a therapist and go, I don't know why the fuck I'm here, but this shit's going on. What can you do for me? And where's my <laughs> happy pills? Right. Because I need some. We're going to look at it differently. But it's but, easier to fool someone who wants to believe and is right. going in with some belief already. Right. One thing I was real, I, I, I didn't say any description of this, but I would love one day for a trial on one of these psychics who are stealing money from lots and lots of people, just one day I'd love to see a prosecutor kind of bring in like a James Randi or Jamie in Swiss and say, okay, how does cold reading work and whatever, and then put, okay, granted Rose Marks never went on the stand, so she couldn't be cross-examined this way, but if a psychic ever went up on the stand, to have a prosecutor who has been primed on how psychics do their job and say, okay, 
you feel that you have just serviced a satisfied customer and people are just going back on whether or not they wanted to pay you or not. I am accusing you of fraud. Please prove to me you're a psychic. Yeah. And and I bet you that's the reason why they never go on the stand. Right. Because if they had to actually prove that they were psychics, they'd be million-dollar winners already, thanks to the James Randi Foundation. (laughs) Because some of the articles about all these kind of psychics on trial do kind of say purported psychic or claimed psychic. It's always in scare quotes. So there is that touch of skepticism there. But there's plenty of articles who say just South Florida psychic on trial. It's like, well, they haven't proved that they're psychic in the first place, and they defrauded customers out of money promising stuff that they could not deliver. Just like promising on a psychic reading, you can't really deliver on being able to read someone's future or talk to a spirit. You know, this wasn't the only article this week about psychics in the news. Once again, we'll play the old joke, the psychic should have seen it coming. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was a young psychic in, I don't know what state was she living in. I want to say it's Florida again, but uh, but I don't yeah. think it is Florida. Is it? I can't remember. Shit. <laughs> okay. Well, there was a, a young psychic who's apparently had a little tiff with her younger boyfriend... And he decided to, I don't know, seek some revenge of the inflammatory stylings and burn down her psychic building. (laughs) And apparently... Apparently died from it. Did it it very badly because he got injured in the fire. I assume because fire dogs found accelerants at the scene. Like he got gasoline on himself and lit himself on fire. Probably. So he he showed up at someone else's house later that day and then went to the hospital and died. But... (laughs) Not a very good psychic if you don't realize, okay, now's the day to take out fire insurance. Yeah, exactly. Or, Or, you know... Call the police and say, my boyfriend is about to go try to... Set my building on fire. fire. It's just... What I hated was the fact that it focused on the fact that she was this psychic. Rather than say... Business owner's crazy ex-boyfriend burns down building. It's all about her being a psychic. Well, yeah, that's the money. That's the weird angle that the article gets to write about. Bugs the ever-loving crap out of me. But you got Rose Marks, this basically dime store psychic, I'm sure. Jennifer Tanner, wherever she is. And everybody up from there to Sylvia Brown, to everything, that they keep on being shown that these psychics, there's nothing to them. There's nothing there. Yeah. N- they don't have any special abilities. It's all magic tricks and cold reading and stuff like that. There's nothing to it, and yet people keep believing in it. Right. Well, it's like the, the, one of the stories we talked about a couple months ago. There was a young lady who worked – she worked in media, and she got invited to go on Sylvia Brown's show. And I know we were talking about this when the, the three girls were found. She went on the Montel Williams show with Sylvia Brown, and and she got up to talk about, oh, you're missing this friend. And she was like, well, maybe. And basically, the young producer kind of turned the tables on Sylvia Brown and led Sylvia Brown back to a friend who was involved in 9-11. And Sylvia Brown was like, oh, your friend is watching over you. She's right behind you. And the producer basically goes, yeah, because she's right there. Right, and that whole segment was cut out <laughs> was of cut the out, Williams. And yeah. they even went as far as not showing the section where they sat 
for the entire show. Yeah, no proof that they were even in the audience. Right, exactly. And so it's like, if you have to work that hard to protect your lie, maybe what you're doing is wrong. Yeah, it's it's a lot of cherry picking of only showing the parts of Mark Edwards' psychic thing, talking to the dead or something, where he has hits. So it looks like all he does is he knows everything about everybody in his audience. Exactly. They don't show the lead-up questions of, you know someone with, with a, a J, J in, in your name. And then all you see is they cut that out and say, so you have a friend Jack? And they missed, they took out all the guesses of John, Jerry, Jeremiah... Whatever. Whatever. But we've got some other interesting news that we want to talk about because more, we have more talk- stuff that there's no proof of whatsoever. And it's something we haven't talked about in a long time. I'm sure we mentioned it every once in a while. We mentioned it every once in a while, but we usually use it as kind of a passing joke between us. But this no week. Not Adam and Eve. It's not AdamandEve.com. AdamandEve.com is real. Unlike Bigfoot. <laughs> There's been a lot of news about Bigfoot yes. this week. The what? Ketchum Institute or whatever their name is. Uh, 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 the, Melba Ketchum. Who the r- people up in Dallas, right? Yes. She runs the Sasquatch Genome Project. It <laughs> just cracks me up. And apparently has been funded some $500,000 or something like that. How by, the fuck did she get that much by stupid a people and their money? Businessman Adrian Erickson. Apparently. I'm sorry, stupid rich people and their <laughs> money. Um, I, I I need some money for a film project, people. <laughs> You're more likely to see a return on it than the Sasquatch Genome Project. Yes, Melba Ketchum has run a five-year study. Basically, I think we've talked about this on the yeah, show Yeah, we talked before, about it before. And I'm sure the big guys in the skeptical podcast world have mentioned this as well. That <coughs> Yes, them. <laughs> that she apparently had these DNA samples that they tested. And when they did initial tests on it, it all turned out to be human. But then they did more tests on it or other tests on other samples or longer tests or something like that where according to what they said, they felt that the 50% of the genome that they found were human, the other 50% were non-human, so unidentified were, non-human. So they were space cat? Well, that's the thing. There was, <laughs> there, Melba Ketchum keeps saying that she believes that Bigfoot is a human-animal hybrid of basically this kind of... 50% so human, fucked a goat 50% something else. The produced Sasquatch. Problem being that if, okay, even if you assume that two different species could mate, which is kind of the definition of species that they can't mate right. successfully, if you had two different species that mated, say just within the primate uh, kingdom, I'm going to use unscientifically the word kingdom, the group that is primates, to have a half-something, half-human, it would still have a lot of other DNA in common because, like the famous quote, you've got 98% of the genome is is shared between us and chimpanzees. Right. 98-99%. We we share, like, what, 70% of our genome with, like, sea cucumbers or something. Exactly. It's 72% with a daisy, I believe. So... My number may not be quite right, but I know it's in the 70s. And the idea that an entire group species would pop up from, uh, ironically enough, a very Adam and Eve situation. 
where you had one female that was human and one male that was non-human that mated, and that 50-50 split maintains itself. Yeah, exactly. That doesn't... So that's the background of the bullshit that well, Melba Ketchum is all about. Well, you also look into it when members of different species that can mate and produce an offspring, like a liger, right. when a liger is produced, or a mule is produced, guess what? They can't reproduce. Yes. Yeah. They're usually sterile, and so you would either have to constantly be having these hybrid fuckathons between humans and and others, and nobody's coming forward admitting to that. Well, nobody wants to admit they got raped by a goat, okay? Nobody ever wants to admit it. Could have been consensual. You never know. (laughs) Yeah, you weren't. Or, I mean, when I was a kid and I thought, wow, wouldn't it be neat if there was a Bigfoot? It's possible. It is possible that there's this ape like variety that we just haven't discovered yet and i was a kid so i didn't understand kind of the full extent of just i mean a big creature like that we would have found some physical evidence besides yeah we would have found a body by now right it's not like the giant squid or the celiacanth which is way at the bottom of the ocean these are out in the forest we'd find Mm. something i can understand the the desire to believe that this could be possible but everything else has to make sense scientifically in line with everybody else. Because the idea that there is a species that we haven't discovered yet, not quite an extraordinary claim if you're thinking about bacteria. Because there's lots of bacteria we don't know, even beetles. And every once in a while you do find a more complex species, like a variety of bird that we haven't discovered, and it happens to be a new species because it has a slightly different beak. Okay, yeah, that happens, but an entire variety of Upright walking, primate, intelligent, enough to hide itself. And, I or, mean, people like Melba Ketchum are co- constantly talking about, oh, they must have a language, and they're very curious, so they bang on things, and they know how to hide. It's like, it does not make any sense, because you're getting really, really far. That Occam's razor is really dull right now. There was another one that put out this Bigfoot Matilda in high definition. And there's that's, this... that's the Ketchum thing. Oh, is it Ketchum? Yeah, they're, so they're... there's this picture. You know what it looks like? It looks like a child's stuffed animal or someone covered in, a ghillie in leaves suit. Yeah. or somebody in a ghillie suit. This is their high definition? I yeah. can recreate this. Yeah. Oh, I so just... So if, if, you, if you go to SasquatchGenomeProject.org... And they recently posted an interview that Melba Ketchum did on one of the Texas stations, breathlessly announcing that they have this high-quality HD footage of Sasquatch that, in addition to the DNA evidence, conclusively proves that Bigfoot is real. And now all we have to do is find out more about Bigfoot and its culture and all that. But all you see is this grainy footage from afar of some shape, Yes, walking upright apparently, but there's no detail to the footage. It's grainy, some of it's nighttime vision, it's a couple hundred yards away. It's not high-definition video. It's like that UFO video we talked about a month or two ago, that it's heavily grainy, very pixelated, no definition, no context. And they were rolling this scroll through the interview of basically file footage, and it was all like two-second clips. Yeah. So no context of what's going on. Honestly, if you think you're going to scare away Bigfoot, 
okay, that's fine. But why don't you go towards Bigfoot to try to get a better picture? Yeah. And, and I'm ranting there. I'm sorry. but No, and ahead. this is what I love is at the end of the, the Bigfoot Matilda in the high definition, I love the quote from the anthropologist. This was not reported in any scientific way whatsoever. <laughs> it's complete junk science. And then she misinterprets it. She hasn't published in peer-reviewed papers on this stuff, and I don't know how this got put together. Right. Basically, when a doctorate of anthropology calls you just amazing <laughs> bullshitter. Yeah. Well, they, they did publish their DNA analysis in some journal, which I don't have on hand. I think it was a recently begun quote-unquote journal that is not a reputably peer-reviewed. It was quote-unquote peer-reviewed, but um, there was an article on Melba Ketchum and her DNA findings, and it apparently the peer reviews of her DNA article were leaked to the public. So if you Google Ketchum Bigfoot DNA peer review, you can probably find the text of this peer reviews, and a lot of it is author makes assumptions that are substantiated. DNA analysis inconclusive, makes conclusions, makes assumptions, and all this kind of stuff that shows just how bad science this is. So you got the bad science of the DNA stuff, which has been around for a couple months, but then this silly, breathless announcement of we've... We, we found it! We found it! We yeah, found it! That, that they've been saying... It's, it's kind of like the, um, the free energy kind of perpetual motion people who are saying for two years at a time, oh, we're going to release this thing, we're going to have this big press release of this amazing discovery, and then when they actually show it, it's like, there's nothing there. You've got either a non-perpetual motion machine, or you've got grainy footage of yet another person who could be in a costume. Eh, maybe it could be an unknown primate, but there's no proof there. There's no context, there's no science to it. Well, yeah, it's like the story of the Bigfoot Colin contest. Now, I did not realize this was an actual thing. Huh. So, apparently, there's the Kinzu Bridge Festival that happened on Saturday, September 21st. Do you know where this is? Pennsylvania. Bradford, Pennsylvania. Okay. They were leaving the park, and as they were driving, they, out of the corner of their eye, something dark in the woods that looked like the shape of a Bigfoot or a Yeti. And so they took a picture from their car <laughs> of something kind of deep in the woods from the road. It looks like a blob. Could be a blob, could be a deer, could be a bear, could be a oddly shaped tree or right. bush. And then I don't know if they actually went further in or they just tried to blow it up. Some of this looks blown up. But there's a picture of something... And it doesn't really look like a deer. It looks sort of primate-ish. So you've got these people who are at this festival primed with the idea of Bigfoot calling. So yes. kind of like the people who go to psychics already want to believe in psychics. So you've got someone who goes to a Bigfoot calling contest, probably wants to believe in Bigfoot anyway, is mentally primed thinking of Bigfoot. Yeah. And then they, they're they leaving, see something. they see something in the woods, so it's on their mind, so they think, aha, I have seen a Bigfoot, so they make that leap, and then they try to take a bad picture of it with a probably bad quality cell phone camera or something, or maybe even a good camera, but from far, far away, and then they use the pareidolia to assign a shape to it, and because they think it's Bigfoot, well, they say, 
oh, that blob must be Bigfoot. Kind well, of like that light up in the sky must, must be, be an, an alien, alien. spaceship. Well, this is, this is the... And I'm, I'm no, gonna no, try. that light up in the sky must be an angel. I'm going to quote here from the Bradford Today Forum, and I'm going to try my best Southern accent here. So Go for I'm it. I'm going to try this. Oh, my God. Saturday, as part of the Kinsey Bridge Festival, they held a Bigfoot Colin contest. And I'm not really a believer of Bigfoot, but was busy Saturday, so I did not attend. But my girlfriend and I did attend the Bridge Festival on Sunday afternoon. As we were headed back to Bradford in the late afternoon, I got a glimpse of what looked like two large, dark silhouettes in the forest. I was able to stop the car and get the following amazing photos. They seemed to be heading in the direction of the Kinzu Bridge, in the direction of the Bigfoot calls the day before. Okay, hold on. Just wrap. Okay, listeners, wrap your mind around this. That last sentence. <laughs> Apparently, Bigfoot can hear stuff that was called the day before. 24 hours before, yeah. Okay. The larger one seemed to be about six and a half, seven feet tall, and the second one was about five and a half, six feet tall. Because we you got not... a whole lot of context in a forest. Right. The... We were not sure what they were, but we were both certain they were not two bears walking on their rear legs. Okay. Maybe like, they weren't bears. Like I said before this sighting, I never believed in Bigfoot, and I'm still not sure what we saw. I'll let these photos speak for themselves. The photos were not altered in any way at all besides me shrinking them to fit on the page and adding text to the very first one. There was a Bigfoot calling contest at the Kinzu Bridge, 3 p.m., blah, 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 blah. We, le- we went the next day, 4.30, and he basically he's just reiterating the same story. Right. Um, they appeared to be moving towards us, and then they appeared to turn and head away at a slow pace. Oh, my God. Look, the Bigfoot. If they're going that slow, you could have followed them and taken a better picture. These were two distinct creatures, and the space between them varied at times, but one appeared to follow the other. We were on a narrow road. They're assigning a whole narrative to this blob. Yes. They were on a narrow road, and there was no shoulder, or the shoulder was wet and soft, and we could not pull off. Soon there was too much brush and trees between us and the creatures, which are in scare quotes. Okay. So you've got these unknown things probably moving, because maybe a bush waving in the distance could appear to be moving or something, but let's assume it's actual animals. Yes. The idea that, oh my God, one is following the other reminds me of that Ghostbusters line of, no human could stack books like this. (laughs) Wow. The interesting thing is, in the United States, we associate Bigfoot mostly with the Seattle Northwest area. Yeah, but apparently, and I learned this last night at our film festival, because one of the films was about a local San Antonio cryptozoologist who, regrettably, I actually know. But, I mean, this guy's talking about how Bigfoot has been found in Belize and, and Russia and, and, and apparently France. So well, a Bigfoot kind of gets around. Well, if you look just at the United States, there's a, I believe, a doctoral candidate by the name of Josh Stevens at Pennsylvania State University who took the last almost 100 years worth of Bigfoot sightings that have been logged by the Bigfoot Field Researchers Organization, and he mapped them all out on the United States. The main clusters of Bigfoot sightings are, yes, the Pacific Northwest, 
also the Ohio Valley area, which covers kind of the Pennsylvania area you were talking yeah. about. There was also a Bigfoot print, assumed Bigfoot print, found in the Ohio Valley area that, of course, they quote Melba Ketchum saying that, oh, it must be a Bigfoot and all that. But there's also concentrations in Florida and here in Texas, apparently. Now, now here's the thing that I don't understand about in Texas. Why the fuck can't some of these stupid, dumbass hunters actually fucking shoot one and, like... I understand the taxidermy bill to mount that son of a bitch is going to be huge. Right. But why the fuck? You've we got, have very accomplished hunters here. You've got people who see a creature out in the field, assume it's chupacabra, and start shooting at it. And then they found out it's a dog or a mangy dog or a coyote or something. But they don't shoot at the Bigfoots and give us a body to prove because... There have oh. been, quote-unquote, bodies of Bigfoots over past, found over the past, what, five or ten years? One or two there. One was like a Bigfoot costume with a raccoon stuck into it. I mean, if if we had better proof, we as skeptics would be willing to believe because it's really fucking neat. The whole idea of, like I said earlier, the coelacanth, the giant squid, those yeah. were thought to be fictional or and then, extinct. And then they found them. Yes. And all of us were all like... Oh my God, that's so cool. Yes, and we changed our minds because right. there was proof. I mean, because you and I were both kind of raised in that era of that's incredible show and real people. I was Unsolved the, Mysteries. And Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah. They were all very, very popular in the early 80s. And that's honestly what inspired my skepticism. Mm-hmm. I remember watching That's Incredible and, you know, watching the stuff about Oh, the mystery road that where the car just drives by itself in yeah. Arizona. And what it is is you are going downhill, even though it's a, a geological malformation that makes it look like you're actually going uphill. I can't explain it. Or some I, mystery Brigadoon town pops up out of nowhere, or Bigfoot, or aliens, right. or And that's what that kind of started my interest in, in skepticism was I wanted to believe in Bigfoot. Right. When I was young, you know, I, like I said, I mean, my hero was Indiana Jones. I wanted to be the one out there finding these treasures and, and weird things, you right. know, whether it was the Ark of the Covenant or the Bigfoot. You know, I didn't really care just as long as I got to put my name on something. Right. There's a certain plausibility to Bigfoot that does not fall for things like psychics. Right. There could be an animal we haven't discovered yet. Yeah, it, it's one of those things that the the story grabs you about right. this mystery. And that's what grabs these people who research into it and spend their lives and their livelihood putting into it. They have some experience. I think that businessman I talked about, uh, Erickson or something like that, who's yeah. funding Ketchum, apparently he has had a Bigfoot experience. So because he has the money, he's going to put his money into it. Right. Just like Todd Stiefel is very involved in atheism and wants to promote atheism, he happens to have the money, so he's going to put his money into promoting atheism. With these also, these cryptozoological stories, these have been stories that encompass mythology. Yeah. We've all heard the stories of, not the Bigfoot, but the Abominable Snowman, which is yeah. the Far East version of the Yeti. We've heard the stories of the vampires from Eastern Europe. And... They're really great stories. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I want to emphasize. Yeah, like like Greek mythology or Norse right. mythology that gives us stories like Thor, so we can have Natalie Portman promote science. 
it's neat stories. I don't like, really think that's what ancient Norwegians just, were hoping for, but hey. It doesn't matter. It's still neat stories that people want to believe. Yep. Well, so in all that discussion about Bigfoot, we'd love to believe, but there's really no proof. So for this week's Web of Trust recommendation, how about you all go over to SasquatchGenomeProject.org, which is Melba Ketchum's breathless site about how she has conclusive proof about Bigfoot, and give them a Web of Trust rating. I, th- I think I'm the only person who's given them a rating so far, so when you go to the webpage, it'll probably already be read, but there you go. And I think that's all we have time for this week. Other than a summary. Yes, go ahead. So, in tonight's episode, we want to say happy birthday to Alan Kardec, but we're not going to throw you a seance to celebrate. That's true. And I do have two other honorable mentions for birthday. We have David G., which is a friend of mine from TAM, and also Amanda, who is the binge listener who listened to all of our episodes since TAM. Well, happy birthday, David and Amanda! Yes, it is both their Why couldn't you today. use their birthdays instead of that? Well, because they're not quite as famous. But okay, whatever. Yes. So, happy birthday. We also learned tonight that Teresa McBain did something stupid. She got called out, she admitted it, but it's not like she raped little altar boys, so I think we can cut her a little bit of slack. Wow, okay. <laughs> hey, I'm channeling I know, my Gary. I understand, I'm channeling the, I understand my Gary. the concept, but wow, that's a harsh comparison. <laughs> Go ahead. Hey, in the Middle East, I wouldn't be doing the summary. I wouldn't be doing this podcast. <laughs> Hell, I wouldn't be doing much of anything because I probably would have already been stoned to death by now. <laughs> That's a very good point. Psychics are going to prison for mail fraud, wire fraud, and stealing lots of money from rich romance writers. Hopefully their psychic skills can tell them who to avoid in the prison yard. Oh, dear. You're going dark this week. I'm going dark. And Bigfoot is back. He's been seen recently in Pennsylvania, and apparently it's official somewhere. Someone has claimed in their unpeer-reviewed article to have sequenced his genome. So now all you need is that and an unfertilized ovum, and you can have your own Bigfoot. One note to make sure, when you use Bigfoot being he, there's also she Bigfoots out there. Otherwise, there wouldn't be big feet. It worked for the summary. Okay. (laughs) And finally, go to sasquatchgenomeproject.org and register your like or dislike for their work. I know how I'm voting. <laughs> Very good. See, I ended on a happy note. Yes. A little dark in there. I was channeling my inner Gary. <laughs> he he would have been proud of this. Okay, sure. Gary tends to go a little dark in the summary once in a while. Well, hopefully, dear listener, you got it to this week in that maybe you got us and enjoyed our talking at you and all that. Well, I guess that wraps it up for tonight. My name's Donna Swafford. Tonight I was with Greg Perrine, and we had, we had a really great time. So keep listening, and bye-bye. See you next week. The Skeptic Wire podcast theme music is by Oscar Lawn with guest mandolin by Greg Perrine. If you've enjoyed listening to The Skeptic Wire, leave a review on iTunes or leave us a voice message via the Podposted app for iPhone. Friend us on Facebook or follow us on Twitter at The Skeptic Wire. Follow our blog at skepticwire.blogspot.com or send us an email, skepticwire at gmail.com. You've been listening to The Skeptic Wire.
situations where the punishment definitely did not fit the crime, and they all have a common theme of a cur- they all have a common theme of a similar area of the world and a serial uh, a serial serial killers ah. Captain Crunch, I'm going to kill you. Um, <laughs> I was going through that in my head. Thank so. you. <laughs> um, oh, crap, where do we... <laughs> and they have a common theme of a certain cultural background that are going on? Yeah, so what about well, this? Let me, let, me, let me quote kind of what he said. Now, um, can, you do this? can you do the southern accent? I'm trying to decide what accent to try to do. Let me see if I can try to do this, and it may not work. Well, I think driving could have a reverse psychological impact. Psychological science, sorry, physiological science and functional medicine studied this side and found that automatically affects the ovaries and rolls up the pelvis. This is why we find for women who continuously drive their cars, their children are born more with clinical disorders of varying degrees. That was either a bad accent or C-3PO on drugs. I'm I'm going with C-3PO on drugs. Do you want me to do it in the southern accent? I, I think okay. southern I think that's your best. Okay. Southern accent. Well, I guess that wraps it up for tonight. My name's Donna Swafford. Tonight I was with Greg Perrine, and Hello. we had we had a really great time. So keep listening and bye bye. See you next week. Look, we were in sync. If you were a girl, our menses would be matched. I thought I thought that was disproven. I know. I'm just okay. You're I'm just being snarky. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>